section twelve of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli secret history of sir walter raleigh footnote raleigh as was much practised to a much later period wrote his name various ways i have discovered at least how it was pronounced in his time thus raleigh capital r a w l y this may be additionally confirmed by the scottish poet drummond who spells it in his conversations with ben jonson raleigh capital r a u g h l e y the translation of ortelius epitome of the world sixteen o three is dedicated to sir walter raleigh capital r a w l e i g h see volume two part two hundred and sixty one article orthography of proper names it was also written raleigh capital r a w l y by his contemporaries he sometimes wrote it raleigh capital r a l e g h the last syllable probably pronounced l y or l a y raleigh capital r a l e g h appears on his official seal in the footnote raleigh exercised in perfection incompatible talents and his character connects the opposite extremes of our nature his book of life with its incidents of prosperity and adversity of glory and humiliation was as chequered as the novelist would desire for a tale of fiction yet in this mighty genius there lies an unsuspected disposition which requires to be demonstrated before it is possible to conceive its reality from his earliest days probably by his early reading of the romantic incidents of the first spanish adventures in the new world he himself betrayed the genius of an adventurer which prevailed in his character to the latest and it often involved him in the practice of mean artifices and petty deceptions which appear like folly in the wisdom of a sage like ineptitude in the profound views of a politician like cowardice in the magnanimity of a hero and degrade by their littleness the grandeur of a character which was closed by a splendid death worthy the life of the wisest and the greatest of mankind the sunshine of his days was in the reign of elizabeth from a boy always dreaming of romantic conquests for he was born in an age of heroism and formed by nature for the chivalric gallantry of the court of a maiden queen from the moment he with such infinite art cast his rich mantle over the miry spot his life was a progress of glory all about raleigh was as splendid as the dress he wore his female sovereign whose eyes loved to dwell on men who might have been fit subjects for the fairy queen of spencer penurious of reward only recompensed her favourites by suffering them to make their own fortunes on sea and land and elizabeth listened to the glowing projects of her hero indulging that spirit which could have conquered the world to have laid the toy 
at the feet of the sovereign this man this extraordinary being who was prodigal of his life and fortune on the spanish main in the idleness of peace could equally direct his invention to supply the domestic wants of everyday life in his project of an office for address nothing was too high for his ambition nor too humble for his genius pre-eminent as a military and a naval commander as a statesman and a student raleigh was as intent on forming the character of prince henry as that prince was studious of moulding his own aspiring qualities by the genius of the friend whom he contemplated yet the active life of raleigh is not more remarkable than his contemplative one he may well rank among the founders of our literature for composing on a subject exciting little interest his fine genius has sealed his unfinished volume with immortality for magnificence of eloquence and massiveness of thought we must still dwell on his pages footnote i shall give in the article literary unions a curious account how raleigh's history of the world was composed which has hitherto escaped discovery End of footnote. such was the man who was the adored patron of spenser whom ben jonson proud of calling other favourites his sons honoured by the title of his father and who left political instructions which milton deigned to edit but how has it happened that of so elevated a character gibbon has pronounced that it was ambiguous while it is described by hume as a great but ill-regulated mind there was a peculiarity in the character of this eminent man he practised the cunning of an adventurer a cunning most humiliating in the narrative the great difficulty to overcome in this discovery is how to account for a sage and a hero acting folly and cowardice and attempting to obtain by circuitous deception what it may be supposed so magnanimous a spirit would only deign to possess himself of by direct and open methods since the present article was written a letter hitherto unpublished appears in the recent edition of shakespeare which curiously and minutely records one of those artifices of the kind which i am about to narrate at length when under elizabeth raleigh was once in confinement it appears that seeing the queen passing by he was suddenly seized with a strange resolution of combating with the governor and his people declaring that the mere sight of the queen had made him desperate as a confined lover would feel at the sight of his mistress the letter gives a minute narrative of sir walter's astonishing conduct and carefully repeats the warm romantic style in which he talked of his royal mistress and his formal resolution to die rather than exist out of her presence footnote it is narrated in a letter to sir robert cecil from mr afterwards sir arthur gorges and runs as follows upon a report of her majesty's being at sir george carey's sir w raleigh having gazed and sighed a long time at his study window from whence he might discern the barges and boats about the black 
friar's stairs suddenly break out into a great distemper and swear that his enemies had on purpose brought her majesty thither to break his gall in sunder with tantalus's torments that when she went away he might see death before his eyes with many such like conceits and as a man transported with passion he sware to sir george carey that he would disguise himself and get into a pair of oars to ease his mind but with a sight of the queen or else he protested his heart would break this of course the jailer refused and so they fell to fighting scrambling and brawling like madmen until parted by gorgies sir walter followed up his absurdity by another letter to cecil couched in the language of romance in which he declares that while the queen was yet near at hand that i might hear of her once in two or three days my sorrows were the less but now my heart is cast into the depth of all misery End of footnote this extravagant scene with all its cunning has been most elaborately penned by the ingenious letter-writer with a hint to the person whom he addresses to suffer to meet the eye of their royal mistress who could not fail of admiring our new orlando furioso and soon after released this tender prisoner to me it is evident that the whole scene was got up and concerted for the occasion and was the invention of raleigh himself the romantic incident he well knew was perfectly adapted to the queen's taste another similar incident in which i have been anticipated in the disclosure of the fact though not of its nature was what sir toby matthews obscurely alludes to in his letters of the guilty blow he gave himself in the tower a passage which had long excited my attention till i discovered the curious incident in some manuscript letters of lord cecil raleigh was then confined in the tower for the cobham conspiracy a plot so absurd and obscure that one historian has called it a state riddle but for which so many years after raleigh so cruelly lost his life lord cecil gives an account of the examination of the prisoners involved in this conspiracy one afternoon whilst divers of us were in the tower examining some of these prisoners sir walter attempted to murder himself whereof when we were advertised we came to him and found him in some agony to be unable to endure his misfortunes and protesting innocency with carelessness of life and in that humour he had wounded himself under the right pap but no way mortally being in truth rather a cut than a stab and now very well cured both in body and mind footnote these letters were written by lord cecil to sir thomas parry our ambassador in france and were transcribed from the copy-book of sir thomas parry's correspondence which is preserved in the peepsian library at cambridge End of footnote. this feeble attempt at suicide this cut rather than stab i must place among those scenes in the life of raleigh so incomprehensible with the genius of the man if it were nothing but one of those fears of the brave we must now open another of the follies of the wives raleigh returned from the wild and desperate voyage of guiana with misery in every shape about him footnote 
he had undertaken the expedition immediately upon his release from the tower in sixteen seventeen the king had never pardoned him and his release was effected by bribing powerful court favourites who worked upon the avarice of james i by leading him to hope for the possession of guiana which though discovered by the spaniards had never been conquered by them and which raleigh promised to colonize in the footnote his son had perished his devoted camus would not survive his reproach and raleigh without fortune and without hope in sickness and in sorrow brooded over the sad thought that in the hatred of the spaniard and in the political pusillanimity of james he was arriving only to meet inevitable death with this presentiment he had even wished to give up his ship to the crew had they consented to land him in france but he was probably irresolute in this decision at sea as he was afterwards at land where he wished to escape and refused to fly the clearest intellect was darkened and magnanimity itself became humiliated floating between the sense of honour and of life raleigh landed in his native county of devon his arrival was the common topic of conversation and he was the object of censure or of commiseration but his person was not molested till the fears of james became more urgent than his pity the cervantic gondomar whose quips and quiddities had concealed the cares of state one day rushed into the presence of james breathlessly calling out for audience and compressing his ear-piercing message into the laconic abruptness of piratus 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 there was agony as well as politics in this cry of gondomar whose brother the spanish governor had been massacred in this predatory expedition Footnote. this occurred during the attack on the town of st thomas a settlement of the spaniards near the gold-mines it ended disastrously to raleigh his ships mutinied and he never recovered his ill fortune but sailed to newfoundland and thence after a second mutiny returned to plymouth End of footnote the timid monarch terrified at this tragical appearance of his facetious friend saw at once the demands of the whole spanish cabinet and vented his palliative in a gentle proclamation raleigh having settled his affairs in the west set off for london to appear before the king in consequence of the proclamation a few miles from plymouth he was met by sir lewis stuckley vice-admiral of devon a kinsman and a friend who in communication with government had accepted a sort of surveillance over sir walter it is said and will be credited when we hear the story of stuckley that he had set his heart on the ship as a probable good purchase and on the person against whom to colour his natural treachery he professed an old hatred he first seized on raleigh more like the kinsman than the vice-admiral and proposed travelling together to london and baiting at the houses of the friends of raleigh the warrant which stuckley in the meanwhile had desired was instantly dispatched and the bearer was one manoury a french empiric who was evidently sent to act the part he did a part played at all times and the last title in french politics that so often had recourse to this instrument of state is a mouton 
raleigh still however was not placed under any harsh restraint his confidential associate captain king accompanied him and it is probable that if raleigh had effectuated his escape he would have conferred a great favour on the government they could not save him at london it is certain that he might have escaped for captain king had hired a vessel and raleigh had stolen out by night and might have reached it but irresolutely returned home another night the same vessel was ready but raleigh never came the loss of his honour appeared the greater calamity as he advanced in this eventful journey everything assumed a more formidable aspect his friends communicated fearful advices a pursuivant or king's messenger gave a more menacing appearance and suggestions arose in his own mind that he was reserved to become a victim of state when letters of commission from the privy council were brought to sir lewis stuckley raleigh was observed to change countenance exclaiming with an oath is it possible my fortune should return upon me thus again he lamented before captain king that he had neglected the opportunity of escape and which every day he advanced inland removed him the more from any chance raleigh at first suspected that manourie was one of those instruments of state who are sometimes employed when open measures are not to be pursued or when the cabinet have not yet determined on the fate of a person implicated in a state crime in a word raleigh thought that manourie was a spy over him and probably over stuckley too the first impression in these matters is usually the right one but when raleigh found himself caught in the toils he imagined that such corrupt agents were to be corrupted the french empiric was sounded and found very compliant raleigh was desirous by his aid to counterfeit sickness and for this purpose invented a series of the most humiliating stratagems he imagined that a constant appearance of sickness might produce delay and procrastination in the chapter of accidents might end in pardon he procured vomits from the frenchman and whenever he chose produced every appearance of sickness with dimness of sight dizziness in his head he reeled about and once struck himself with such violence against a pillar in the gallery that there was no doubt of his malady raleigh's servant one morning entering stuckley's chamber declared that his master was out of his senses for that he had just left him in his shirt upon all fours gnawing the rushes upon the floor on stuckley's entrance raleigh was raving and reeling in strong convulsions stuckley ordered him to be chafed and fomented and raleigh afterwards laughed at this scene with manourie observing that he had made stuckley a perfect physician but raleigh found it required some more visible and alarming disease than such ridiculous scenes had exhibited the vomits worked so slowly that manourie was fearful to repeat the doses raleigh inquired whether the empiric knew of any preparation which could make him look ghastly without injuring his health the frenchman offered a harmless ointment to act on the surface of the skin which would give him the appearance of a leper that will do said raleigh for the lords will be afraid to approach me and besides it will move their pity applying the ointment to his brows his arms and his breast the blisters rose the skin inflamed and was covered with purple spots stuckley concluded that raleigh had the plague 
physicians were now to be called in raleigh took the black silk ribbon from his poignard and manoury tightened it strongly about his arms to disorder his pulse but his pulse beat too strong and regular he appeared to take no food while manoury secretly provided him to perplex the learned doctor still more raleigh had the urinal coloured by a drug of a strong scent the physicians pronounced the disease mortal and that the patient could not be removed into the air without immediate danger a while after being in his bedchamber undressed and no one present but manoury sir walter held a looking-glass in his hand to admire his spotted face Footnote a friend informs me that he saw recently at a print-dealer's a painted portrait of sir walter raleigh with the face thus spotted it is extraordinary that any artist should have chosen such a subject for his pencil but should this be a portrait of the times it shows that this strange stratagem had excited public attention End of footnote and observed in merriment to his new confidant how they should one day laugh for having thus cousined the king council physicians spaniards and all the excuse raleigh offered for this course of poor stratagems so unworthy of his genius was to obtain time and seclusion for writing his apology or vindication of his voyage which has come down to us in his remains the prophet david did make himself a fool and suffered spittle to fall upon his beard to escape from the hands of his enemies said raleigh in his last speech brutus too was another example but his discernment often prevailed over this mockery of his spirit the king licensed him to reside at his own house on his arrival in london on which manoury observed that the king showed by this indulgence that his majesty was favourably inclined towards him but raleigh replied they used all these kinds of flatteries to the duke of byron to draw him fairly into prison and then they cut off his head i know they have concluded among them that it is expedient that a man should die to reassure the traffic which i have broke with spain and manoury adds from whose narrative we have all these particulars that sir walter broke out into this rant if he could but save himself for this time he would plot such plots as should make the king think himself happy to send for him again and restore him to his estate and would force the king of spain to write into england in his favour raleigh at length proposed a flight to france with manoury who declares it was then he revealed to stuckley what he had hitherto concealed that stuckley might double his vigilance raleigh now perceived that he had two rogues to bribe instead of one and that they were playing into one another's hands proposals are now made to stuckley through manoury who is as compliant as his brother knave raleigh presented stuckley with a jewel made in the fashion of hail powdered with diamonds with a ruby in the midst but stuckley observing to his kinsman and friend that he must lose his office of vice-admiral which had cost him six hundred pounds in case he suffered raleigh to escape raleigh solemnly assured him that he should be no loser and that his lady should give him one thousand pounds when they got into france or holland about this time the french quack took his leave 
the part he had to act was performed the juggle was complete and two wretches had triumphed over the sagacity and magnanimity of a sage and a hero whom misfortune had levelled to folly and who in violating the dignity of his own character had only equalled himself with vulgar knaves men who exulted that the circumventor was circumvented or as they expressed it the great cousiner was cousined but our story does not here conclude for the treacheries of stuckley were more intricate this perfect villain had obtained a warrant of indemnity to authorize his compliance with any offer to assist raleigh in his escape this wretch was the confidant and the executioner of raleigh he carried about him a license to betray him and was making his profit of the victim before he delivered him to the sacrifice raleigh was still plotting his escape at salisbury he had dispatched his confidential friend captain king to london to secure a boat at tilbury he had also a secret interview with the french agent raleigh's servant mentioned to captain king that his boatswain had a ketch footnote a small coasting vessel made round at stem and stern like the dutch boats the word is still used in some english counties to denote a tub in the footnote of his own and was ready at his service for thirty pieces of silver the boatswain and raleigh's servant acted judas and betrayed the plot to mr william herbert cousin to stuckley and thus the treachery was kept among themselves as a family concern the night for flight was now fixed but he could not part without his friend stuckley who had promised never to quit him and who indeed informed by his cousin herbert had suddenly surprised raleigh putting on a false beard the party met at the appointed place sir lewis stuckley with his son and raleigh disguised stuckley in saluting king asked whether he had not shown himself an honest man king hoped he would continue so they had not rowed twenty strokes before the watermen observed that mr herbert had lately taken boat and made towards the bridge but had returned down the river after them raleigh instantly expressed his apprehensions and wished to return home he consulted king the watermen took flight stuckley acted his part well damning his ill fortune to have a friend whom he would save so full of doubts and fears and threatening to pistol the watermen if they did not proceed even king was overcome by the earnest conduct of stuckley and a new spirit was infused into the rowers as they drew near greenwich a weary crossed them raleigh declared it came to discover them king tried to allay his fears and assured him that if once they reached gravesend he would hazard his life to get to tilbury but in these delays and discussions the tide was failing the watermen declared they could not reach gravesend before morning raleigh would have landed at purfleet and the boatswain encouraged him for there it was thought he could procure horses for tilbury sir lewis stuckley too was zealous and declared he was content to carry the cloak-bag on his own shoulders for half a mile but king declared that it was useless they could not at that hour get horses to go by land they rode a mile beyond woolwich approaching two or three catches when the boatswain doubted whether any of these were the one he had provided to furnish them we are betrayed cried raleigh and ordered the watermen to row back he strictly examined the boatswain 
alas his ingenuity was baffled by a shuffling villain whose real answer appeared when a weary hailed the boat raleigh observed that it contained herbert's crew he saw that all was now discovered he took stuckley aside his ingenious mind still suggesting projects for himself to return home in safety or how stuckley might plead that he had only pretended to go with raleigh to seize on his private papers they whispered together and raleigh took some things from his pocket and handed them to stuckley probably more rubies powdered with diamonds some effect was instantaneously produced for the tender-hearted his friend stuckley relented and he not only repeatedly embraced him with extraordinary warmth of affection but was voluble in effusions of friendship and fidelity stuckley persuaded raleigh to land at gravesend the strange wary which had dogged him landing at the same time these were people belonging to mr herbert and sir william st john who it seems had formerly shared in the spoils of this unhappy hero on greenwich bridge stuckley advised captain king that it would be advantageous to sir walter that king should confess that he had joined with stuckley to betray his master and raleigh lent himself to the suggestion of stuckley of whose treachery he might still be uncertain but king a rough and honest seaman declared that he would not share in the odium at the moment he refused stuckley arrested the captain in the king's name committing him to the charge of herbert's men they then proceeded to a tavern but raleigh who now viewed the monster in his true shape observed sir lewis these actions will not turn out to your credit and on the following day when they passed through the tower gate raleigh turning to king observed stuckley and my servant cotterell have betrayed me you need be in no fear of danger but as for me it is i who am the mark that is shot at thus concludes the narrative of captain king the fate of raleigh soon verified the prediction this long narrative of treachery will not however be complete unless we wind it up with the fate of the infamous stuckley fiction gives perfection to its narratives by the privilege it enjoys of disposing of its criminals in the most exemplary manner but the labours of the historian are not always refreshed by this moral pleasure retribution is not always discovered in the present stage of human existence yet history is perhaps equally delightful as fiction whenever its perfect catastrophes resemble those of romantic invention the present is a splendid example i have discovered the secret history of sir lewis stuckley in several manuscript letters of the times raleigh in his admirable address from the scaffold where he seemed to be rather one of the spectators than the sufferer declared he forgave sir lewis for he had forgiven all men but he was bound in charity to caution all men against him and such as he is raleigh's last and solemn notice of the treachery of his kinsman and friend was irrevocably fatal to this wretch the hearts of the people were open to the deepest impressions of sympathy melting into tears at the pathetic address of the magnanimous spirit who had touched them in one moment sir lewis stuckley became an object of 
execration throughout the nation he soon obtained a new title that of sir judas and was shunned by every man to remove the cain-like mark which god and men had fixed on him he published an apology for his conduct a performance which at least for its ability might raise him in our consideration but i have since discovered in one of the manuscript letter writers that it was written by dr sharp who had been a chaplain to henry prince of wales the writer pleads in stuckley's justification that he was a state agent that it was lawful to lie for the discovery of treason that he had a personal hatred towards raleigh for having abridged his father of his share of some prize money and then enters more into raleigh's character who being desperate of any fortune here agreeable to the height of his mind would have made up his fortune elsewhere upon any terms against his sovereign and his country is it not marvel continues the personifier of stuckley that he was angry with me at his death for bringing him back besides being a man of so great a wit it was no small grief that a man of mean wit as i should be thought to go beyond him no sic ars delutur arte neque enim lex justior eula esquam nesit artificies arte periri sua this apt latinity betrays dr sharp but why did you not execute your commission bravely openly why my commission was to the contrary to discover his pretensions and to seize his secret papers etc footnote duckley's humble petition touching the bringing up sir w raleigh quarto sixteen eighteen republished in summer's tracts volume three seven hundred and fifty one end of footnote but the doctor though no unskilful writer here wrote in vain for what ingenuity can veil the turpitude of long and practised treachery to keep up appearances sir judas resorted more than usually to court where however he was perpetually enduring rebuffs or avoided as one infected with the plague of treachery he offered the king in his own justification to take the sacrament that whatever he had laid to raleigh's charge was true and would produce two unexceptionable witnesses to do the like why then replied his majesty the more malicious was sir walter to utter these speeches at his death sir thomas badger who stood by observed let the king take off stuckley's head as stuckley has done sir walter's and let him at his death take the sacrament and his oath upon it and i'll believe him but still stuckley loses his head i shall credit sir walter raleigh's bare affirmative before a thousand of stuckley's oaths when stuckley on pretence of giving an account of his office placed himself in the audience-chamber of the lord admiral and his lordship passed him without any notice sir judas attempted to address the earl but with a bitter look his lordship exclaimed base fellow darest thou who art the scorn and contempt of men offer thyself in my presence were it not in my own house i would cudgel thee with my staff for presuming on this sauciness this annihilating affront stuckley hastened to convey to the king his majesty answered him what wouldst thou have me do wouldst thou have me hang him of my soul if i should hang all that speak ill of thee all the trees of the country would not suffice so great is the number
one of the frequent crimes of that age ere the forgery of bank-notes existed was the clipping of gold and this was one of the private amusements suitable to the character of our sir judas treachery and forgery are the same crime in a different form stuckley received out of the exchequer five hundred pounds as the reward of his espionage and perfidy it was the price of blood and was hardly in his hands ere it was turned into the fraudulent coin of the cheater he was seized on in the palace of whitehall for diminishing the gold coin the manner of the discovery says the manuscript writer was strange if my occasions would suffer me to relate the particulars on his examination he attempted to shift the crime to his own son who had fled and on his man who being taken in the words of the letter-writer was willing to set the saddle upon the right horse and accused his master manouri too the french empiric was arrested at plymouth for the same crime and accused his worthy friend but such was the interest of stuckley with government bought probably with his last shilling and as one says with his last shirt that he obtained his own and his son's pardon for a crime that ought to have finally concluded the history of this blessed family footnote the anecdotes respecting stuckley i have derived from manuscript letters and they were considered to be of so dangerous a nature that the writer recommends secrecy and requests after reading that they may be burnt with such injunctions i have generally found that the letters were the more carefully preserved in the footnote a more solemn and tragical catastrophe was reserved for the perfidious stuckley he was deprived of his place of vice-admiral and left destitute in the world abandoned by all human beings and most probably by the son whom he had tutored in the arts of villainy he appears to have wandered about an infamous and distracted beggar it is possible even so seared a conscience may have retained some remaining touch of sensibility all are men condemned alike to groan the tender for another's pain the unfeeling for his own and camden has recorded among his historical notes on james i and in august sixteen twenty lewis stuckley who betrayed sir walter raleigh died in a manner mad such is the catastrophe of one of the most perfect domestic tales and a historical example not easily paralleled of moral retribution the secret practices of the sir judas of the court of james i which i have discovered throw light on an odd tradition which still exists in the neighbourhood of afton once the residence of this wretched man the country people have long entertained a notion that a hidden treasure lies at the bottom of a well in his grounds guarded by some supernatural power a tradition no doubt originating in this man's history and an obscure allusion to the gold which stuckley received for his bribe or the other gold which he clipped and might have there concealed this is a striking instance of the many historical facts which though entirely unknown or forgotten may be often discovered to lie hid or disguised in popular traditions End of section twelve